Welcome everybody to Spinaverse. Guys, we've gotten there. I know. It's the long-awaited entrance to the book of Leviticus. Here we are. <laughs> dun dun dun. All right. So uh, you know, we're gonna get into it today. I tried to include some texts that weren't just the Torah portion, which is how to do this sacrifice, how to do that sacrifice. And it gets a little bit um, shall I say. Um, explicit, bloody, all of that. I tried to spare you most of that, but you know, anybody who's listening, you want to go in and read the book of Leviticus chapters one through five, you will see plenty of, um, of detail. If you want to get into that thing, if that's your thing and Hey, no judgment about that. All right. Okay. Oh, introductions. Of course I'm Rabbi Josh. He, him pronouns, executive director of Gatcher Hill. Uh, my name is Leah, she, her pronouns, and I'm Goucher Hillel co-president. Uh, I'm Ryan, I use she, her pronouns, Goucher Hillel Shabbat co-chair. Okie dokie, everybody. Here we go. All right. Well, I sort of spared you the uh, summary because it's basically here's how to do this sacrifice, that sacrifice, and so much the more. But there is sort of a by way of introduction text here, so I'm going to try and get into that if I can split screen. All right, so, oh, right. I just have to share a screen. I also love being able to have an edit function later. So when I'm pumped for like this, then I can, people don't have to hear that, just you guys. Okay, all right. <laughs> so we're all looking at the sheet. Um, anybody wanna read this first text? I can. Go for it. Uh, Rabbi AC said, why do young children start to learn Torah with the laws of the priests? because young children are pure and the sacrifices are pure. Pure ones should come and busy themselves with the pure. Love so, that they're comparing children to sacrifices. Yeah, they kind, great of vibes. they kind of are. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting thing. This has been a practice actually for uh, a long time that in typically traditional communities, have you ever seen that ceremony that sometimes they would do with young children where they would put like honey on the Torah? People would like lick honey from the Torah um, as like their first entrance to like being able to read Torah because it's like Torah is sweet. They want, you know, the association to be like a sensory association. that's positive, but usually where you'll start, where kids will start reading and just like being able to get their basic, like, here's how you read Hebrew kind of skills. That's not necessarily so much about the text is this text, Vayikra, like Leviticus, sacrifices. So the idea of starting a four or five-year-old child out by reading this is interesting, which is what this text is trying to deal with. Any thoughts, guys? I don't know. It just seems like a little, a little dark. I think it's a strange way to kind of be like introducing children for the first time really to like the Torah and all that it means to Judaism and kind of, I don't know, it almost acts as if like, this is the most important part. It's the first one you're going to look at. And it just like, is a little grim. Um, you're really ripping the bandaid off. Rather than like starting with like learning about like creation or like something more about like even like important laws and the point of there being like one God or that kind of thing. Like, no, make sure you sacrifice animals. Yeah. Just it's like a strange introductory point. Yeah. Well, Ed, right. This is trying to deal with that. And we're going to get back to like some, some questions about like sacrifices toward the end, but some of it has to do with what you feel about sacrifices. So maybe we should say that up front. 
um, Leah, let's just put it out there. You're a vegetarian. You know, I'm how do you, vegan. You're a vegan. <laughs> Don't want to downplay it. So, you know, how do you feel about animal sacrifices, Leah? Um, we talked a little, we talked a little bit about this last week. We had talked about this a little bit, um, in terms of kind of, they do talk about sacrifices in the terms of like, and not just being like, oh, here's a, here's a dead animal, but it being like also the points of being like food for like the priests and that kind of thing, which like makes sense in a lot of cultures. A lot of time it's like when you use an animal, it's important that all of it be put to use. That's a big part of a lot of different cultures. Um, I don't know. I think it's a little, I'm glad we don't do it anymore. Guess is what I'll say. I don't think I'm gonna head out and do like an animal sacrifice anytime soon. Just probably not. Um, I don't know, it's hard because it's hard to compare how I feel about certain things looking at them now versus if I lived however many like thousands of years ago this was and it was a completely different like culture and all of that. Fair, yeah, that's um, relative, yeah. Yeah, so I think a lot of people now like talk about sacrifices and recognize it as an important part of the Torah, but aren't like, oh, I miss this. I wish we could keep doing this. I wish I could head out on, head out every week and do a nice animal sacrifice. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, I know you have connections, like pretty deep connections with animals yourself. Uh, horses, I know in particular. So, you know, just any initial thoughts here about your feelings? <laughs> Um, I think Leah's brought up, Leah brought up a really interesting point in that, you know, a big part of, and I'm not against like eating meat, I eat chicken, but like in terms of that, like I value when the whole animal is used. Um, and I feel very weird about animal sacrifices. I feel very weird about sacrifices in general, like point blank, because I'm kind of in the mind of like, God's already asked us to like believe in him and only him. And then we got to fulfill like these 613 commandments. Now you want me to sacrifice my pet goat? Come on, man. What, what's up with, you know, no. we, he already tested Abraham with sacrificing Isaac. What's with all this sacrifice and God wants us to do? Um, so in general, I find it to be very unnecessary and overdone, but I, I understand kind of it was par for the course at that time. It was, it was what was done. So I think it's really hard to, to take um, modern morals as we see them today and put them into the context of biblical situations and vice versa. It's really hard to take biblical morals in some cases and put them into a more modern context. Yes, and. Like the Constitution. Yeah. Right. Hard to apply in the modern day, exactly. In both cases, in both cases, um, what we are doing is essentially an act of interpretation and application all the time, right? The Constitution was written in 1787, and yet we are constantly applying it to today's law. There are constitutional law experts who are trying to figure out how to do it the same way. There are rabbis, and you know, part of what we're doing as Jewish communities, not just rabbis, but you know, every Jewish person has the ability to kind of be able to understand the text and try and apply it to today. So I think that that's part of what, you know, we're reading this. Synagogues haven't said, we're not going to read Leviticus anymore, which is an interesting question, right? So yet we, we not only read it, but it's a whole book of the Torah. There's a lot of stuff in here. 
it's not just one portion. It's like a whole book. And it appears in some of the other books too. So it's sort of in our face. We've got to deal with it some way, maybe try and make some meaning of it, maybe understand it in its historical context, but it's hard to ignore. And that is what's one of these things that's like really interesting about Jewish tradition is even though it's thousands of years old, and yes, it's from a different period of time, we're still dealing with it. So let's jump right in to dealing with the first chapter of Leviticus right here. All right, Leah, you're up. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When any of you presents an offering of cattle to the Lord, he shall choose his offerings from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall make his offering a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting for acceptance in his behalf before the Lord. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the burnt offering that it may be acceptable in his behalf in expiation for him. The bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priest shall offer the blood, dashing the blood against all sides of the altar, which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Some interesting interior design there. Go for it. So is this like two different sacrifices, a burnt sacrifice and then like a live sacrifice? Is there a different, is there a? No, this is once, this is the beginning of the sacrifice. If I gave you the entire chapter basically lays out all the parts of then what do you do after you do the blood? You do, you cut this part up and you so then burn this does, part. You got there. So then does a, what does a burnt offering refer to? Because it talks about that before. It talks about like the actual slaughter of the animal. Does it like, did they brand the cattle back then? No. What it means is that unlike some other sacrifices where only part of the animal is burnt and on the altar and then the rest of it is eaten, the entire animal is, in parts is actually burnt. So there is no part of the animal that ends up getting consumed by people. I like that we're sacrificing the men for a change, the males. <laughs> I know it's not worth I know it's not we're not, I know we're not like sacrificing human men, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, really. But um I, I like that it, some males get to deal with the consequences of being alive in biblical times. Okay. Makes me Touche, gotcha there. Yeah. Like I'm I'm very sad it's a bull because I love animals and I don't want the but like <laughs> makes me a little happy. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, any thoughts? Uh, sorry. sorry. Um, I don't know. I We also talked a little bit about, I think I mentioned this last week too. I guess one thing that just kind of confuses me, especially about like whole animal sacrifices, is like a lot of the time when you're teaching people to respect those around them and everyone who's different and that kind of thing, you talk about it, how all people are like created by God and God put that effort into each individual person. But then if we go all the way back, God created the animals too. So I guess it just kind of confuses me when God is like, you know what, a good way to show that, that you, you appreciate me is to kill some other things that I put a lot of effort into. Also, (laughs) it just, it doesn't make sense to me. I yeah. I was born in, in 1999, very different time period. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting, like we talked before about working to kind of like somehow be able to transfer that like message. So for this one, you kind of have to go like 
deeper and I guess what I can get out of it is like the importance of showing your appreciation to God and the level of respect that you have. Um, so trying to kind of look at it from that standpoint. Um, yeah. When I was in middle school, we, um, did a, we did a debate about sacrifices. I forget which side I was on. I want, I want to say I was on the pro-sacrifice side. It was assigned. So I'm yeah. trying to remember some points I made, but I'm blanking on them. I'll keep thinking. Okay. My, what I'm sort of like trying to think through is, and I, I don't know how it was, but like what if somebody doesn't have like a sacrifice to offer? Like what if they need that cow for, for food? Aha, aha, aha. Then we go to chapter two. Very nice segue, Ryan. I don't know if you were planning this. I wasn't. I didn't read this right. beforehand. So there's some interesting part of equity here because, first of all, that first sacrifice is a sacrifice. There are different sacrifices you offer for different things. The Ola, the one that's all burnt up, is usually done in, in behalf of trying to uh, deal with a sin that you've, created, that you've committed. And this bowl is supposed to help you be forgiven from the sin. So that's its own concept. I can see, uh, you know, questioning there. This other one, just going to this, is about a different kind of offering. Let me pause, actually. You guys seem to have some comments here. Go for I it. have a question. Okay, so you know how we're, like, we're not supposed to kill, like, bad no-no, big no-no in the Torah, big no-no. Murder. Like, murder. Murder, yeah. Why? To, 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 like, condone for, to, like, repent for us, and why are you murdering? What the? Well, I'm asking the real questions here. Yeah, why, well, it depends why? on what you think an animal life is, you know, and I think that that's really a question that, right, so for a biblical mindset of this time, again, I'm not saying my thoughts, I'm a former vegetarian myself, um, that uh, an animal life is, is not the same as a human life, um, and that in some way, at least to the priest, at least to some part of the, the biblical mindset of the, the, the Kohanim, you know, who ran the temple, the idea was, hey, this is the way that God wants it, you know, and that's part of what this whole book is about. So let's read this next one and we'll, we'll go back for some more questions, because believe me, that's kind of where we're at today is just dealing with this whole question of sacrifice and how do we relate to it? How, how does Jewish tradition relate to it after the temple was destroyed and all of that? All right. So I'll read this next one. When a person presents an offering of meal to the Lord. His offering shall be of choice flour. He shall pour oil upon it, lay frankincense on it, and present it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest shall scoop out of it a handful of his choice flour and oil, as well as all of its frankincense. And this token portion he shall turn into smoke on the altar as offering by fire, a pleasing odor to the Lord. And the remainder of the meal offering shall be for Aaron and his sons, a most holy portion from the Lord's offerings by fire. When you present an offering of meal baked in the oven, it shall be made of choice flour, unleavened cakes with oil mixed in, or unleavened wafers spread with oil. So a different kind of offering that you could offer would be a vegetarian sacrifice of flour. Okay. Um, thoughts about this and the whole concept. This gives me very weird vibes because I know it's probably not what it like. I'm probably, the way I'm interpreting it probably isn't what like is the norm for the interpretation. But like, I'm. it's weird that like, some of it goes to God and then the rest goes to like the priests. Yeah. But call it out. I think there's something here. None no, kind of really goes to like perhaps the people who made the made the 
And I like that's very, very weird to me. Like it gives me very like sus vibes. Like little sus. Um it's just like I don't know if I like that like you give some to God and then you give some to the priests. You could yeah, think of I it think, in some ways. Like, go ahead, babe. I'm sorry. I was gonna say it's like it doesn't make sense because I feel like in Judaism there's such this emphasis in like it, God is God, and then everyone else is kind of on like their level. It's not like someone like a rabbi is like closer to God than other people. They just are a rabbi. Um, sorry, Josh. Um, but no, I think that's too. Part of like Ryan was saying, it's strange. It kind of does create this like more intense hierarchy like your sacrifice almost like your sacrifice isn't just to god it's to these other people as well when we're not really supposed to be viewing people as kind of up on that same pedestal it just like very much is like people are giving away like ryan was saying if there's a family that needs these things but has to sacrifice them for the priests to eat who also get things from all these other people's sacrifices like, I don't know, like you said before, there are different sacrifices that are more specific for different circumstances. So I don't know how this fits into it. It could yeah. also fit in with animal sacrifices with like people giving up things they need. Right. But it almost feels a little bit like idolatry. So <laughs> interesting. So let me let me Not just give some, some broader context here and some of that, but some of the issues you brought up. One, um, there are a lot of laws in the Torah. Maybe we'll get to some of them or we may have missed some of them that talk about, you know, leaving the corners of your fields for the poor, what you should keep for yourself, the maximum amount you should be giving to charity, not just fields for the poor, but other tithes and other ways that you should be taking care of the more vulnerable in society. So this is not meant to substitute for that, is number one. Number two, the priests have a certain role in a society that everybody's buying into here, which is to say that there is a central cult, and I use that word in a small c, not like in the way that we talk about a cult, now, but you know, you can certainly have your have your opinions about it. A central re- religious ritual that everybody's saying, "Oh, this is really important. We got to do this for God." And so we're going to give essentially like a tax, you know, of our some part of our flour and our bulls. Not all of them, but you know, one every now and then. If we did something bad, or if we just want to do it as an offering, or if it's our turn, because there is a whole system here that's a little bit qu- tricky in terms of which tribe is providing, because the idea is we're, they're living in an agrarian society. You know, there are farmers, there are ranchers that are, that are raising their cattle and the priests and Levites are doing the temple ritual all the time. They don't have the time or the land to be able to raise, you know, their own food. So the way that this is set up in some ways is to make sure that they're taken care of. And so the whole central religious right can continue. So, you know, I can understand the suspicion and that's part of the idea of the society. So stop there. Have your tits. Yeah. Is that like what they do with the hollow? Like when women are making hollow, they like take off a piece and like put it to the side. Yes. Even now, by the way, that's a ritual people will do, even though you don't, we don't have priests to be giving the food to anymore. You're supposed to take a piece of hollow when you're making a certain amount, burn it in the oven because that's the portion that you would have given to the priests. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It's still a little suspicious. It's still a little like that's a very good justification, and I understand like contextually. And again, I might be falling a little bit into the trap of applying modern day morals to a biblical setting when it's just not like a thing that really works. But 
I'm, I'm happy we're not doing it in modern day. Let me say that. I'm happy this isn't a modern day yeah. practice. Yeah. But I wonder, like, what would happen if, like, so I know, like, this is still, like, kind of far off, but, like, if this was still in existence, if the temple was still in existence, it doesn't matter really that. But, like, what would be happening today? Like, that makes me really curious. Like, did sacrifices stop because, like, the place where we offer them was destroyed or lost? Or did they stop because they fell out of practice for, like, moral reasons? Well, there you're different, two different schools of thought that will go, argue different ways. So, most will say that the primary factor is the first. The temple was destroyed, and so we can't do sacrifices. So the question is, do we pray for them to be returned? There are Jews who want the temple to be rebuilt and for sacrifices to be returned. In fact, in, in most of the like, if you do Musaf service, for example, on Shabbat, um, in the conservative, orthodox, and in small print and the Reconstructionist Sidor, maybe in the back of the Reform one too, there's like the sacrifice you would do on Shabbat. And you say that and you say, God, we hope that you restore the temple or, you know, different different versions and different language and different Sidors, or back when the temple was, we used to do this kind of thing. Um, so, you know, even the idea of the preservation of the memory of it, Ryan, is like part of that something that that is still in practice, even if it's not there. So, yeah, like, how do we feel about it? Um, gee, different people feel different ways, pretty conflicted. And um, even in terms of how did this start? You know, why did we start doing this, which is what the next text starts to deal with. Yeah. So I've also, okay, this is gonna be a weird connection. I think it's kind of weird that they're like sacrificing cows when wasn't like they made like a golden calf that God like why why does God want a reminder of when the people turned their back on him and like built an idol? Maybe that's why he picked cows. He was like, I can pretend it's to burn them calf every time. God's petty. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's not just cows. That's the one we read, but you can also do sheep and goats and fowl, like turtle doves and things like that, too. Yeah, it's just like, it's weird that he's accepting cows after he, like, smited the golden calf. Um, it's just like, it's a very weird reminder of, like, I will accept sacrifices in the shape of the thing that I smited you for. Right, right. It is saying, though, if you go back to the beginning part, it said uh, from the herder from the flock, it does not say that you can sacrifice a wild animal. For the most part, there's not really a focus on the idea of wild animals. It's more domesticated animals. So the dolphins, then. No, the, do no, dolphin, the dolphins. No, dolphins for this one. <laughs> yeah, there's no fish sacrifices, actually. Yeah, so interesting. Weird. I don't know why. Okay, we'll get into the kosher laws in a couple of parshas, and all that stuff would be pretty interesting, too. All right. Uh, anyone want to read this next part? This Hi, Will. Go for it. Rabbi Pinhas, in the name of Rabbi Levy, stated, this is comparable to a king's son who strayed and was accustomed to eat non-kosher meat. The king declared, let him always eat at my table and his own. And on his own, he will eventually become disciplined. Similarly, because Israel was attached to idolatry in Egypt and would bring their sacrifices to, to the goat demons. As it is written in Leviticus, no longer shall you sacrifice to goat demons, which refer to the Shadim, Shadim they sacrifice to, and they sacrifice to Shadim. And those Shadim refer to the goat demons, as it says in Isaiah 13, 21, and the goat demons shall prance there. 
and they would offer sacrifices on high places and retribution would befall them. The Holy One, blessed be, he said, let them offer sacrifices before me at all times in the tent of meeting and they will be separated from idolatry and be saved. This is the meaning of what is written. Any man of the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or sheep or goat and does not bring it to the entrance of the temple of meeting as a sacrifice to God, that man will be cut off from among his people so that they no longer offer their sacrifices to the goat demons and they all and they are won't to stray after. All right. So uh, <laughs> this is a justification of the sacrificial system. Um, whether you think it's a particularly good one or not. And I, you know, there's a whole lot of goat demons going on in there. It's interesting. Um, you know, so this idea basically is saying like, okay, the people wanted sacrifices back then and they were going to do it in a bad way. So let me kind of channel that energy to being at least toward God. And at least that's okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense one th we in the middle school debate we talked about how it was a fad like a, a thing of the time and that's why it was included um because it was like important at that time to like society and that's why it was included in the torah and made part of the religion by god um but that wasn't my point that was someone else's um in the debate um but i guess like that does make sense just how our laws and things that go on now are based on building upon what people value today and what people experience and what is important to them and the changes that people think need to be made. It makes sense for that time period for it to kind of be, if you look at it from that context, but including it for that reason, it makes sense being like, this is what the people are comfortable with. I want them to be, God being like, I want the people to be committed to me and this is something they're used to and how they show appreciation. So I'm going to create it part of how they do it the correct way they can make sacrifices to me. So they're kind of honoring the world that I did create in a way. I think the, the thought that was put into it maybe wasn't like, Oh, and then blah, blah, blah amount of years, whatever. But I think that explanation does make sense when you compare it to kind of how things are included today. It's just like, you can't really compare the Jewish law and the Torah to like laws made in like the United States. It's obviously a huge difference. Um, but I guess that is kind of like a societal impact on like both that kind of makes sense when you look at the time period. Yeah. Sorry if that was kind of rambly. <laughs> Good point. I, I agree with you that it does sort of make sense and it wraps everything up in a neat little bow, but I'm still going to question it. Um, so we know that like the Israelites were enslaved for like 500 years, right? Mm -hmm. And God is kind of nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen. He like comes in at the last minute, like bottom of the ninth and then, Yeah. I kind of don't know what else he expects them to do with sacrificing to goat demons. Like, you're, you're not seen for 500 years. The people have nowhere else to turn to. Their only source of comfort is goat demons. Sure. They're, I don't judge. Goat demons are your thing. You do you. Um, but, like, and then he, like, kind of accepts those offerings for himself after viewing them as 
more like it's morally wrong to sacrifice to that person but it's morally okay if you sacrifice to me and I don't know I don't know if I like I don't know if I'm super satisfied with this explanation yeah it's almost like it's like God was trying to phase it out in like a scaffolded way but never got through the rest yeah it's just like it's a very weird kind of double standard that I don't think like was thought of while this was being written but now that I'm reading I kind of see it. it's like well wait I can't sacrifice to that one but it's okay to sacrifice to you after you've come in after 500 years of like no contact <laughs> what right. so so here's another kind of uh, view another sort of lens to put on it which is this um some people, many people believe that the Torah that we are looking at, and I may have brought this up before, is a composite of a number of different documents, pieces that got written at different times by different authors or different schools that each had their own kind of way of looking at Judaism. And um, this one, Leviticus, is written by something called the Peace Source or the Priestly School, that is really into sacrifices and all of the sacrificial right. And a lot of the rest of it is not, but there are P stuff, like basically anything that seems to be very ordered. And, uh, you know, this happened, for instance, the first um, account of creation in Genesis is also seen to be part of the P source. So, you know, people who are documentary um, historians will look at the Bible and will analyze it and sort of be like, like, you know, use a highlighter and shade which parts belong to which di different document based on the names of God they use, the content and all of that. From that viewpoint, if that's kind of where you want to come from, we've got uh, competing ideas of what Judaism should be. One that seems to be really focused on the sacrificial idea, one that seems to be focused on particular types of holiness and mitzvot, some of which is related to like moral character building and some of which is related to do what God says because God says eat this and don't eat this kind of thing. Although a lot of that is more priestly school. When the rabbis come along and when later Jewish tradition comes along, it does not see those lines. And in fact, it's all been, you know, kind of nicely, seamlessly put together as one document that according to Orthodox Jews and many others, is divine in nature and so and infallible in a way. So if you look at the Torah that way, you're going to have to find some creative ways, let's say, to deal with some inconsistencies and controversies um, and conflicts between different ideas in the text that seem to be at odds with each other. And this is one of those because there definitely is a school of thought that's really focused on this. And a lot of later Jewish tradition, even 2000 years ago, had some of the same concerns that you guys are bringing up now. So, and I like what Abraham Joshua Heschel says here in this last little bit, the basic difference in attitude toward the sacrificial system may be summarized thus. The school of Rabbi Ishmael said, not for my sake do you offer the sacrifices, but for your sakes to satisfy your needs, kind of like the last source. For my part, I'm pleased having given you the commandments. You fulfill my will and I shall reward you. So it's saying basically, the sacrifices are a gimme to you people. You seem to want this, so hey, you got it. In the school of Rabbi Akiva, that's the opposing viewpoint. The view was, I, God, desire nothing else but the sacrifices. Their sweet savor brings delight to me. Basically saying, hey, what God really, really wanted was sacrifices. And that's what like is the core of Jewish tradition. In that, there's like a pretty huge gap in terms of like what it means to like 
celebrate Judaism, to be Jewish. And if um, at the core of it is this temple sacrifice, then yeah, it's really hard to like give that up if you're living in a temple-less world, you know? Yeah, I, I I think I stick with Ishmael on this one a little bit more. Like, I'm still not, like, super satisfied with it, but, like, Ishmael, like, I think is a little bit clearer. I'm like, I, I stick with Ishmael on this one. Call you Ishmael, huh? Okay. I don't know. It's a weird topic. It um, is. <laughs> it's hard because I feel like to understand it, I'm trying not to be, like, all, like, vegany. Trying to like really like place it within the context of the time, um, because I think that's important when you're looking at something that's not from the present day. Um, so it just feels there, it seems like a lot of very, very specific rules to have put in place for something that you're only doing because the people wanted it. Like it's very, very detailed, specific. You have to do it this way and this way and this way and this way. And you absolutely have to do it. Um, when God's only like, oh, I guess you can do this because you want to. It just seems like a lot of structure and specific and rules for something that God doesn't actually even view as that significant to themselves. Yeah. And you know, I'll just say this, you know, with the obvious, you don't have to be landing on Ishmael or Akiva. You could be, you, you really you put your own opinion here in, and this is not a binary choice. Um, so I really appreciate your guys' takes on this. We're going to go in depth to some more sacrifice stuff and other ritual law next week. So, you know, get ready for that. It's messy. It's interesting. And we're doing it. So thank you guys. We're not putting live sacrifices on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Should have put that at the beginning. Spoiler alert: No animals are sacrificed in the. No animals are sacrificed during. No the animals or flower was harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Spinniverse. Shabbat Shalom. We'll come and talk to you next week. Our episode before Passover. <laughs>